Genesis chapter 50 this morning. <clears throat> um, Genesis chapter 50. Let me, let me just read kind of our springboard verse, and then we're going to jump in together this morning, all right? So Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 15. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. It says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all of the suffering that we caused him. Okay, so some of you are like, all right, I have been in church every Sunday. I have missed some significant portions of the Joseph story. If all of a sudden Joseph's dad, Jacob's dead, and the brother, what, what, what's going on? How did this happen? So what I want to do this morning, real very briefly, is kind of do a little bit of Sunday school with you and walk through the storyline of, of how we got to where we are with that verse that Joseph's daddy, Jacob, is dead. Uh, I'm going to do Sunday school without the animal crackers. I apologize. I did not plan in advance. So as you, as you consider what's happening in the life of Joseph, you, you, you can't get to where we are going to be today without remembering that way back in chapter 41 of Genesis, Joseph was taken out of prison and brought to Pharaoh to interpret a dream that Pharaoh had had the night before. The magicians couldn't interpret it. They couldn't understand it. They didn't know what it meant. But Joseph showed up and said to Pharaoh, hey, here's the deal. I don't know either. So that's always what you want to hear from somebody you're waiting on for answers, right? I don't know either, but I can tell you this. God does. God knows. And if God chooses to give us the meaning, then we'll be all set. So Pharaoh explains the dream to Joseph. It's kind of a fascinating dream. The dream is that he saw seven big, fat, huge cows eating well, it's so very healthy, and plump. Plump is the word in my version. I can enjoy that word. Plump. But then there were these scrawny, skinny, thin cows who came up behind those seven plump cows, and the seven scrawny, thin cows ate the seven plump cows. Go scrawny people. <clears throat> Sounds like a dream you've had, right? The second dream that Pharaoh had was that there were heads of grain. There were big, huge, seven big, huge heads of grain. And then seven thin heads of grain came up and they ate the seven big, huge heads of grain. And Pharaoh, rightly so, woke up the next morning and said, what was that? Magicians couldn't answer. The, the, the prophets that he had put in his court could not answer. The wise men couldn't answer. And standing next to Pharaoh at this time is the butler who says, wait, about two years ago, I was in jail, and there was this young man who interpreted my dream and the dream of the baker, and it went much better for me than it did for the baker. He ended up dead, and I ended up here. I bet you he could do it, and so Pharaoh calls him. He, Joseph gets cleaned up, he gets showered, he gets shaved, he gets put in a new robe, and suddenly he finds himself standing before the, the most powerful man in the known world. That man, Pharaoh, unloads the dreams on him, and Joseph says, well, actually, this is this is quite simple, sir. What's going to happen is there are going to be seven years of plenty here in Egypt. The food will abound. Grain will explode. Your, your herds, your cattle, everything, will, your flocks will just, just be exponentially bigger than they've ever been before. It'll be like the most, most amazing seven years you've ever had as a farmer. And then, following that immediately, will be seven years of a drought like you've never seen. A famine 
across the entire world. So what I would suggest, Pharaoh, I mean, it's very interesting. Whenever Joseph interprets a dream, he always follows up with a little bit more information at the end. What I would suggest, Pharaoh, is that you take somebody, put them responsible and in charge over all of the crops and manage the crops and set aside much of what comes in during the years of plenty so you're prepared for the years of famine. And Pharaoh says in chapter 41, verse 37, uh, the proposal pleased Pharaoh, pleased all his servants, and he said, can we find anyone like this, a man who's, who has God's spirit in him? Anyone. Anyone at all. Think we could find somebody just like that? Joseph. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will now be over my house. That morning, that morning Joseph is, is feeding the rest of the prisoners. He's caring for the rest of the prisoners. He's serving the rest of the prisoners in his own prison outfit with his own prison number, in his own prison cell. That afternoon, Pharaoh says, verse 41, I'm placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand. He put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him with fine linen garments. He placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot. And servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed Joseph over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. No one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnath-Paneah and gave him a wife, Asnath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And then, exactly as he had said, exactly as he had shared in prophecy with Pharaoh, the exact thing that he said would happen, happened. There were seven years of excess, seven years where there was so much grain, it says it was like the sand of the sea. Joseph stopped even keeping track of how much of it there was because there was so much it was impossible to measure. And as sure as the, the years of plenty occurred, the years of plenty came to an end. The famine came in. Just like Joseph had said. Every land in the world was affected by this famine. But in Egypt, they had food. And so now the entire world was traveling to Egypt to buy grain. So look at chapter 42, verse 1, just because I find... There's a few verses in the story of Joseph that, that, that make me laugh. Some of it's because I can identify with it. You have this huge worldwide crisis. As the patriarch of your family, you're starting to see the cupboards are bare. You maybe, maybe you haven't eaten in days. You have no, no ideas of how to get food or what you're going to do. Verse 1 of chapter 42, when Jacob learned there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Dads, have you ever felt like that? Perhaps you're under the car with a wrench in hand and something horrible has occurred. And your kids are standing outside the car like, I can't believe it happened. Did you see that happen? And all you need maybe is a rag, if you're lucky, or perhaps a very large band-aid. Stitches, perhaps. And yet the kids are standing there talking to each other and your response is, why are you just standing there? Get somebody who can help. 
So Jacob does. Why are you guys just standing here? We're hungry. I've heard there's food in Egypt. Go. So 10 of Jacob's sons go. Jacob has 11 living sons. He believes Joseph is dead, remember. But he only sends 10. He keeps the youngest, Benjamin, at home. Verse 4, he tells us why. Because he was afraid something might happen to him. The brothers travel to Egypt. They come before Joseph, not knowing it's their brother, Joseph. And it's interesting, it says the first thing they do when they come into his presence is bow down before him. If you remember what really irritated the brothers, what led them was a final straw, but led them to sell him into slavery was the fact that after breakfast one morning, Joseph had told his brothers, hey, I had a dream that you all bowed down to me. And that always goes well when the little brother says that to the big brothers, right? Yeah. Joseph sees them, knows that it's his brothers, but he begins to treat them like strangers, it says. He accuses them of being spies. He says, I know you're a spy. I know you all came here to scout the land and find our weaknesses so that you could attack. And the boys are like, no, 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 no. No, no we're not spies. We're, we're ten sons. We come from the, the same father. No, 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 you are spies, Joseph says. No, we are, l- l- let us tell you about our family, okay? We, there's actually 12 brothers. We're the son of one man in Canaan. The youngest, he's at home. And then there's one who's no longer living. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes just for a second. Imagine hearing that. Joseph says, nope, you're spies. And as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are not leaving Egypt unless the youngest brother comes here. So this is what we'll do. You send one of the brothers back. The rest of you can go to jail. One of you can go back and get that little brother and and bring him back. And there seems to be a little bit of a, a continued argument between Joseph and the brothers to the place in verse 17 of chapter 42 where, where Joseph just says, no, no, he takes all ten brothers, he sticks them in prison for three days. He brings them out of prison after three days and says, okay, let, let, me, let me tell you this, okay? I fear God, so if you do this, we're going to be okay, all right? So instead of, of all of you staying in one go, why don't you leave one here and the rest of you go back and pick up the little brother? I'll give you the grain that you need. You just make sure you come back with that little brother. And they consented to this. Simeon stays in jail. The rest of the brothers begin to make their way back to Canaan. Look at verse 21 of chapter 42. Then they said to each other, we are being punished for what we did to our brother. I'm sorry, they haven't left yet. They're taking Simeon captive. The boys are standing there and they begin talking to each other. We are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw We saw his deep distress, talking about Joseph. And and when he pleaded with us, we didn't listen. That's why this trouble has come upon us. And Reuben replies, I told you not to hurt Joseph. I told you guys. Now we make account for his blood. Now, interesting is the, the brothers stood there having this conversation in Hebrew. There was an interpreter who was translating to, uh, to uh, Joseph in Egyptian so that uh, Joseph could understand it. As they're having this little side conversation out of earshot of the translator, 
they think they can speak freely because that guy doesn't understand Hebrew. But in fact, Joseph understood every word they said. In verse 24, it says, He turned away from them when he heard these words, and he wept. Simeon goes to jail. Joseph orders that the silver that they brought to purchase the grain goes back in each of their sacks. And so, so now you've got nine brothers heading back to Canaan with sacks full of grain, each of them with the payment that they had brought into Egypt to pay for the, for the grain. And so they don't know they have the payment. They just know they have their, their sack full of grain. And so they're traveling through the evening and they come to a place to rest that night. And one of the brothers opens up the sack to get feed for the camels. And as he opens up the sack, he is shocked and he sees the silver that he brought sitting on the top of the bag and says, oh, we're in trouble. In fact, they tremble, verse 28, and say, what is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done to us? They get home, they see Jacob, and they begin to unload the story. And, and, and I, 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 parents, you know this, you send your kids to the store and they come home with a story, right? You, you can send the kids out back to rake the leaves, they come in with this amazing story. We hear these boys come back with this story and say, listen, the dude in charge, he was rude. He spoke harshly to us. He accused us of spying. And so we laid it out for him. No, 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 we're not spies. We're just, we're 12 brothers, sons of the same father. One is no longer living, and the youngest is now at home with our father. That's who we are. We're not spies. And then he just lost his mind and said, no, 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 you leave a brother here. You go back, you get that little brother, and you bring the little brother back here, and then I will let the other one go. Jacob's response after listening to all of this is, it's you boys who are making me childless. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin? Verse 36. Everything happens to me, is what Jacob said. moment of transparency, I unfortunately have uttered those exact words. Haven't you? I, I'm thankful, because if not, I'd be like, okay. It's just me. Why does everything happen to me? I think at times when we ask that question, we're actually making an accusation. What are you doing? Why would you do this to me? And the accusation, it cuts both ways. Not only is it, you don't know what you're doing, I deserve. Everything happens to me. Now it's interesting that there's still a tension. Simeon's left in Egypt. They still need more grain. So what are they going to do? Reuben speaks up. <laughs> this is there's, there's two boys who are not mentioned in this story who I would love to get their account. It's Reuben's two sons. Because Reuben says to his dad, listen, dad, let us take Benjamin back, and if we don't come back with Benjamin, you can till, kill my two sons. 
And the two sons have to be like, what? What did we do? And Jacob says, no. <laughs> no, my son will not go down with you. Chapter 43, verse 1 and 2, I'm a little confused by, not going to lie. Done a lot of reading and studying on it. I have no definitive answers for you. But there appears to be a length of time that occurs from the time they come back from Egypt with the grain and Simeon is sitting in jail to verse 2 when, when, when Jacob finally says, go back and buy us a little food. It seems as if they were like, you know what? We'll just eat and try to figure this out. And at some point they run out of grain and Jacob says, go back to Egypt, buy us food. And Judah, now you remember Judah from a few chapters ago and I don't, certainly don't have time to go over all that again. But Judah has had this remarkable painful, life-altering experience in Genesis chapter 38, where all of a sudden now he seems to be a man of integrity, a man of leadership, a man who is after God's own heart. As he says to Jacob, Dad, listen, he was very clear with us, we can't go back just to get a little bit more food. If we go back, we've got to bring Benjamin with us. <laughs> Jacob asks, asks a very sincere question. Why did you even tell the man I had another brother or you had another brother? Why'd you even tell him about Benjamin? And you see a little hint here that they understood something was different. They just didn't know what it was. Verse 7 of chapter 43, because the man kept asking us about our family. He asked us, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And we would answer him accordingly. How could we possibly know that he would have said, bring your brother here? See, they knew something was a little different. They just didn't understand what was happening. So Judah's offer to his daddy is this. Just let Benjamin come with me. Don't take your vengeance out on my boys. Hold me responsible. Hold me accountable. Jacob eventually agrees and says, if you're going, you're going to go with the best gifts that we can send to make sure we pave the way. So now, I'm trying to fast forward through the story. Get ready. You think I was fast up to this point. But you're all like, <laughs> so now you have 10 brothers going back to Egypt, one brother in prison in Egypt. They're coming back, they're bringing the best gifts to, in order to, to please uh, this uh, prime minister of Egypt who they don't know is their other brother, Joseph. They come into Egypt and it says that Joseph spots the brothers coming in and he sees Benjamin. And he tells his servants, take those men, bring them to my house, prepare a meal. We are going to feast together. And so, so it's really funny. The servants come and like, all right, gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome to Egypt here. We're going to go right to the prime minister's home. Now, for some of us, that's like, yes. But for these guys, they're like, oh, we are so dead now. We, we took, he thinks we stole the grain because the silver was in our bags. We're toast. We have, we have no hope. And so they get back to Joseph's house. And I, and I love this. Verse 19. They try to find an ally. 43 verse 19. They approach Joseph's steward and they speak to him at the doorway of the house. And they say to him, Lord, my Lord, listen, we really did come down here the first time to buy food. We, we came to the place where we lodged for the night. We opened up our bags of grain. Each one's silver was at the top of his bag. It was the full amount of our silver. And we, we, we brought it back with us. And we brought more silver. We don't know who put that silver in our bags, I promise. And, and you, the steward's got a smirk on his face and says, well then, God must be smiling on you. Because you gave me your silver. I received it. Which had to just baffle them. 
The steward gets Simeon and releases him from jail. And now the, the 10 brothers, are now the 11 brothers, are reunited. Benjamin is there. Simeon's out of jail. And they begin to prepare the gift to present to Joseph when he comes home. Verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the gift, they carried it to the house, and they bowed to the ground before him again. Joseph's questions are very pointed. How is your elderly father? Is he still alive? And they're like, yes, our dad's still alive. And we're told that Joseph sees, I'll call him Baby Benjamin. You know, the littlest always has that nickname, right? doesn't matter if he's 62. He's still baby Benjamin. And he asks, is that, is that your youngest brother? They say yes. The moment Joseph is overcome with emotion, and so he, in verse 30, he hurries out of the room. He goes into the inner room and he weeps there. Then, then after weeping for a while, he washes his face. He comes out. He tries to regain his composure and says, okay, let's, let's serve the meal. And so, so here's this amazing thing that happens from the perspective of the brothers. Joseph says, okay, here's your seating assignments. And he seats 11 brothers. And he seats them in birth chronological order. And the brothers notice it. And they're like, this is astonishing. What a coincidence. I'm not sure what they said when the food came out. And it's like, okay, so you go Reuben, you go, they're all getting their food. And they get down to baby Benjamin, and it's like, so everybody gets a little stack, we'll call them pancakes, stack of 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 pancakes, lost count, so we're just going to say it's Benjamin now. Benjamin, stack of pancakes. Five times what everybody else got. Now, Benjamin was probably like, right on, this is awesome. The brothers would be a little bit, it's unique. Joseph gets his servants together again. He says, I want you to fill the bags of these men to the very top. Put as much food in those bags as you possibly can. And then take every one of their silver, the, the amount of money that they tried to pay me for the grain. Take that silver, put that on top of their bags, and then take this, this special silver... Um, I don't know, ornament, we'll just call it, and, and put that in the bag as well. But not just any bag. Put it in baby Benjamin's bag. The next morning, it says that morning light, the sun rises, the brothers gather their bags, the 11 guys get all the food they can, and they are hoofing it. They don't get very far, it says. Joseph tells his steward, go get them. And ask them this question, this is how you repay good with evil? And so the, the servants chase down the brothers and they imagine highway. And it's so funny, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm picturing a highway. I'm picturing a police car pulling over another car because they're getting away. And I, I can't get that out of my head. I'm sure it wasn't like that. Camels were not that fast. And where would you put the light? Um, so, <laughs> honest questions. Musings of Pastor Frank. Be afraid. So <laughs> they, 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 they pull him over <laughs> and, and they're like, so is this how you repay good? By doing evil? You've taken this, this silver cup from your master's house. And they're like, no, 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 no. We didn't do anything. I'm telling you, we didn't do anything. If, if that thing is found with any one of us, then the one who took it will die. 
and the rest of us will be Pharaoh's servants forever. And the servant's like, oh, that, that doesn't, isn't necessary. Only the one who took the cup will become my servant. And so they each drop the, the bags to the ground, and they, they open it, and they begin searching from the oldest to the youngest. And they're astonished to find in baby Benjamin's bag exactly what they were looking for. And the brothers started mourning. They're tearing their clothes. They are freaking out. They, they take Benjamin into custody and head back towards Joseph's house. Judah and his brothers gather their belongings. They go back to Joseph's house and Joseph greets them and says, what is this that you have done? Why would you do this to me? And Judah jumps in and says, we have nothing we can possibly say. How can we possibly plead? We, the 11 of us, we are now your slaves. Joseph says, no, 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 just him. The rest of you can go back in peace to your father. Judah approaches Joseph, and there's this heartfelt plea in chapter 44. I just want to read a piece of it in verse 27. Your servant, my father. So now Judah is talking about Jacob. He says, my father said this to us. You boys know my wife bore me two sons. He's talking about Rachel. One is gone from me. I, I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him again. He's talking about Joseph. Now, if you take this one from me, and anything happens to him, listen, sir, when I go home, if I don't have baby Benjamin with me, he will die. My father will die. The last verse, chapter 44. How can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm him. And in that moment, Joseph realizes these are different boys than the ones who sold him into slavery. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers through his tears, it's me, Joseph. Is my father still alive? <laughs> this might be the understatement of the Bible. They could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, please, no, come here. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. The famine, it's been in the land for two years. There'll be five more years without plowing, without harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land, within the land to, to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here. It was God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Go quickly back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. We're told after some other details are given, Joseph throws his arms around his brother Benjamin and weeps kissed each of his brothers through his tears. And then afterward, his brothers talked with him. I'm sure there was a lot to talk about. 
Pharaoh hears of this. He's pleased. He says, okay, go get your father. Go get the rest of your family. Bring them to Egypt. But don't, don't worry about bringing stuff. No, no, we got enough stuff here. What is mine is theirs. And so the brothers head back to tell Jacob the good news of Joseph's being alive. Verse 24 of chapter 45 is fascinating parents. Again, we understand this. Joseph sent his brothers on their way. And as they were leaving, he said to them, hey, one second, don't argue along the way. I wonder why Joseph would say that to those guys. You think maybe there was a little bit of assigning blame along the trip? I can't believe Joseph's alive. Can you believe Joseph's alive? Judah. Judah, you said we should sell him. Yeah, well, at least I didn't say we should kill him. No, it's your fault. And so you have this banter that goes back and forth and back and forth. Man, I'm really burying the lead on this one. They get home, tell Jacob, Joseph is alive. And Joseph's like, Jacob's like, get out of my way. Let's go to Egypt. There's the great reveal. Oh, I'm sorry. They get back to Egypt. There's this reunification of family. There's a celebration. And there's long life. At the end of his life, Jacob has asked that he not be buried in Egypt. He wants to be buried in the promised land. The place that God promised that he and his descendants would have. And so in chapter 50, you have this most amazing funeral procession. It is the most descriptive funeral procession in the entire scripture. This is the thing of military honors. This is the thing that made everybody talk. There were so many <clears throat> excuse me, high-ranking officials from Egypt involved in this funeral procession outside of Egypt that the people who lived in the land just said, this must be some high-ranking Egyptian official. And it wasn't. It was the father of some high-ranking Egyptian official. The funeral's done. They head back towards Egypt. And we land where we began. Verse 15. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. They said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. To say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they have caused you. Therefore, please, would you forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father? Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers then came to him, bowed down before him, and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So therefore, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and your children. And he comforted them. And he spoke kindly to them. Now first, you have to deal with this one fact. And, and I know you're like, he's just starting the message now. No. We'll be okay, I promise. <laughs> First thing you got to understand is that Jacob probably didn't even tell his brothers to say that. This is their brothers trying to protect themselves. 
It's not like Joseph didn't know what they were trying to do when they sold him into slavery. He, he knew right out of the gate. It's straight up evil. It changed Joseph's life forever. For the first 12 years after that, until he was 30 years old, it was absolute disaster. You have slavery and false accusations and imprisonment and loneliness and being forgotten. And then God did what God does. He revealed, at least in Joseph's life, that in all of that mess, he was at work. Now, please understand it's important. God didn't explain to Joseph along the way. And I know that there are people sitting in this room who have cried out to God and said, just one explanation, that's all I need. Because I don't get this. I just need to know why. I just need to know why. That is a crazy question to ask God because you can't handle the answer. It would be like me sitting down with one of your three-year-olds and be like, okay, now listen, this is what you need to do to get into the best college. This is what you need to do to get the best scholarships. This is what you need to do to get the best education. I would suggest this major, not that one. That one's overrated. But you should do, and your three-year-old being like, (laughs) you got lollipops? The eternal God, the one who knows everything, past, present, future, who understands everything, who is powerful, all-powerful, for him to look at you in this moment of whatever you're going through and say, right now, let me explain it to you, I'm doing this because you would ask God for a lollipop. None of us would be able to get it to compute. It's too big for us to understand. How do you think Joseph would have responded if God had revealed to him as a 17-year-old that his, his big brothers needed to reject him so that 12 years later, he, as the prime minister of Egypt, could step in and save them from a horrible drought? I, you got the wrong number because I'm not Egyptian. We got plenty of food. And my dreams have said that these boys are going to bow to me. So reject me. Joseph was able to say to his brothers in this moment, no matter what your intentions were, God was at work in the mess. You know, Joseph could never have been the rescuer of Israel if he hadn't first been rejected, thrown in a pit, sold, accused, imprisoned, forgotten. And while he might not have seen that all the while, he he does at this point. So I know, the moral of the story of Joseph is be like Joseph, right? No. Uh, I did some circles a few weeks back to try to explain how all of this stuff works together. You've got the individual story that we're looking at right now of Joseph, and then a little bigger than that, the story of Joseph falls within the story of Jacob's family, which falls in the story of the nation of Israel. And if you keep going out and out and out, what you eventually get to is the, the big story of the entire Bible. The story of all of Scripture points to one person, one hero, and his name is Jesus. Even this story of Joseph is about Jesus. And I get it. I, I, think, I think all of us, <laughs> we all love to hear the story of David and Goliath and be like, yes, I am David. No, you're not. 
You're one of the Israelites who's standing on the sideline like, that big guy's come back again. He's going to hurt us. What are we going to do? I don't know what to do. No. Jesus is David. We like to read the story and be like, I'm Joseph. You're not Joseph. Jesus is the better Joseph. You are one of the brothers who got rid of him, the brothers who sold him off then went on living like he didn't exist. We're the brothers who, who found ourselves in the midst of a terrible drought and the source of our deliverance was the very one we rejected. God used the suffering of Joseph at the hands of his brothers so that ultimately the brothers could be redeemed by him. You know that God uses the suffering of Jesus in the same way for us? God has used the suffering of Jesus to provide rescue for those who trust in him. Just as... That's uh, okay, I'm, I'm closing now, but it's almost like a commercial. Next week, we start our Christmas series. And I'm excited to jump into the book of Ephesians with y'all. And, and what we find in Ephesians chapter 1 is what we're going to focus on for Christmas. It's this, just as Jesus is the, the better Joseph, the rescue that Jesus offers us is the better rescue. Because in Jesus Christ, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, we have been given an inheritance, we have been given a down payment for our inheritance, we have been given a peace, we've been given a hope, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. even though today you feel like you're at the bottom of the dungeon. God ain't done. Father, thank you for the promise we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a rescue. Thank you that we have experienced real life, real hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there is somebody here who has not experienced that, I pray that in this moment they would understand what it is to, to be loved with a love that is just unthinkable, a love that can't be categorized, a love that you demonstrated for each and every person by sending your son Jesus Christ to die in their place. God, I pray that they would understand that, that Jesus Christ rejected and scorned, bleeding on the cross was for their redemption, for their forgiveness, for their inheritance, for their hope, for their peace. Father, would, would you cause each of us to remember that you, in fact, are for us. You've demonstrated that by, by giving us your son. You are for us. God, may we live like that. May we live like we have the God of the universe on our side. Because we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.